Good evenings. How is everybody doing? All right, all right. Welcome to Summertime Wednesday Nights Christ Community Church. Let's open with prayer. Father, we do thank you for your great grace toward us. We thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord. We thank you for the privilege of prayer. We ask now that you would direct us in our time that we might honor you in all that we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Tonight, we will be in 1 John. For some of you, it would be the first time that you've heard me teach from 1 John. For others of you, you will remember that we have been going through 1 John for a while. But the last time I spoke on 1 John was Wednesday night, March 4th, 2020. So needless to say, we're going to have to do some catching up to see what it is that we have been, what it is that we have learned, and then have an opportunity to uh, move forward. And in moving forward, then we will have an opportunity to catch up and move on as we have those times together. So when we think of 1 John, we think of the author. The name has been given because it relates to the Apostle John. There's no argument about who the author is. The setting, writing would have been somewhere around A.D. 90 to 95. At the time of the writing, John was in Ephesus, and although he was the youngest of the apostles when chosen, now he is a man that is well-aged. And out of that wisdom, he writes as he is uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit. In Asia Minor, what is today Turkey, in that area, it was a hotbed of false religions, cults, philosophies, worshipers of uh, emperors. And there was no shortage of objects of worship with inclusivism being the watchword for the day. Whatever religion you came up with, you had to have it to where everybody could get a piece of it, no matter what it is that they believed. And then here it is, John comes along and he writes First John. And he's writing it from the idea of exclusive. It was as if John was saying to them, all roads may lead to Rome, but there's only one way to heaven. And that heaven is exclusively through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so he comes and he presents his writings and he is setting up that he might help the people of that area understand the truth. And when you or set out for your intentions to be to talk about the truth, the opposite of truth would be a lie. Okay? So John sits his whole writings to always give two examples. And I like what John MacArthur says about that. He says he, in his writings in both John and uh, this epistle, he puts out a series of comparisons of two. Never with a third entry. For instance, when he talks about light and darkness, he doesn't add in there a shade of gray. He wants you to understand that the contrast is between light and darkness. He talks about love and hate. He talks about in the world or out of the world. He talks about the fact that there is death and there is life. 
He wants us to understand that there are comparisons, but the comparisons are best known when you just deal with the two. So as we look at this writing tonight, we want to be able to keep that in mind. Whether he's talking about light or darkness, whether he's talking about truth or lies, whether he's talking about the love of the Father or the love of the world. You will always see John bring it down to two. And then in doing so, he's trying to help us not to be confused. But there are times that we simply confuse ourselves. The other day, Don and I was at home and there was a knock on the door. And we, I, I make it to the door and there was two Jehovah Witnesses. And they was telling me that you have to bring comfort to folks. Those people are confused. People need to be made uncomfortable. As a matter of fact, when I describe to them what you are to share with those who are outside of Christ, they say, oh, you, you would scare people if you tell them that. My idea is I would love to scare them out of that pit that they're in or hit it to. John wants us to understand that there is truth and there is error. And he wants us to understand that when we head in that direction of truth, that there is no alternative. We must follow the truth. So as we look at what we've covered, we'll start back with John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. What was from the beginning? John wants to take them all the way back to the beginning of the gospel and say to them that we are still teaching the same thing that Christ taught when he was here on earth. And you can go back to Matthew chapter 4, verses 7 chapter 4 verses 12 to 17 it says now when Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody he departed into Galilee and leaving Nazareth he came and lived in Capernaum which is by the sea in the region of Lebanon and Naphtali in order that what was spoken in Isaiah the prophet would be fulfilled Jesus is ready to start his ministry. And how does he start it? He started by fulfilling the scripture. Look at verse 15 in Matthew chapter 4. It says, in the land of Lebanon and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who were sitting in darkness was, saw a great light. And those who were sitting in the land and shadow of death, up on them a light dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So when John makes this statement, what was from the beginning, he says that has been true from that time in Jesus' ministry, and here we are, some 60-some years later, and he says, we're still preaching the same thing. We want people to repent and to come to a point of understanding that Jesus is the only way to heaven. The false teachers of that day taught that the knowledge of God's provision for you must be reached through some higher level of spiritual awakening which then would put you in some elite class. Then and only then could you know what God had for you. But John would come along and he would start to write. And when he says, I write to you little children, he's not talking about an elite class. He's talking about people like you and me. I write unto you little children that you might understand the way to God. And he was directly in contrast to what the false teachers were saying. 
And in these first four verses, John has shown us what is the truth compared to the false teachers. He goes on to say, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write to you so our joy may be complete. This word fellowship, it's a partnership. It's a sharing in common. He says, I want you to know that our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ, and we want you to share in that fellowship with us. Believers, that's what you and I have been left on this earth for. So we can share with others how we have a fellowship with the Father and how we want them to share that fellowship with us. And then as he moves on through this letter, he would talk about this fellowship and how it is that it is to be announced and how it is to be sent out so others might hear it. In verse 5, he says, this is the message that we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light. Wow. What's the opposite of light? Darkness. He says, God is light. And there is no darkness in him at all. None. God is light and in God there is no darkness at all. He's setting up something here for us. He wants us to understand if our life is tracking in darkness, God is not in us. That's what he is bringing out here. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 says, You are light of the world, a city set up on a hill that cannot be hidden. Jesus is making this statement to his disciples. That would apply to you and to me today. We are lights of the world. We are a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hidden. He wants us to understand that. Paul would pick up on this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. He says, do all things without complaining and, and arguments so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Wow. Paul saw the world of his time as crooked and perverse. I wonder how he would see it today. But notice what hasn't changed you and I or to appear to them as lights in the world. And he wants us to understand that. John said, I want to declare to you that God is light. First John chapter 1, verse 7 says, But we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, and we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Doesn't clean us from some sin, it cleans us from all sin. First John chapter 2, verse 8 says, On the other hand, I have written to you a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. That's how he refers to it. The true light is already here. We're here to take this message out. Look at the next verse. 1 John 2, 9, he says, the one who says that he is in the light 
and yet hate his brother is in the darkness until now. Translation. The one who says he is a Christian but hate his brother, he says he is in the darkness to now. He says he's no Christian at all. Why? Because the very thing that God is bringing to us is love. And if we don't have that love for one another, then there is no God in us. That's what he is pointing out to us. The one who loves his brother, remains in the light. And there is nothing in him that would cause him to stumble. The Christian is going to love his brother, and by doing that, he remains in the light, and there's nothing there for him to stumble over. We have the light in us, and therefore there is no stumbling for us. Back to 1 John 6, I'm sorry, 1 John 1, verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth of God is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Wow. Just full of good information for us. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But by walking in the light, it helps us to understand that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, now when he says we, he's actually talking about Christians. If you claim to be a Christian and you say that you have no sin, he says that you make God out to be a liar. But since we Christians have sinned, he says in verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have never sinned, we make him out to be a liar. And his word is not in us. John lays this out for us that we might clearly understand what it is that he's trying to take us to. Let's look at 1 John chapter 2. My little children, I write these things to you so that you may not sin. And if any one sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. When we think of Scripture, don't think of an epistle as a book written. It was not. It was a letter that is written. So he didn't finish with chapter 1 and say, okay, let me start chapter 2. He's simply continuing his letter. But he, he points out to us that the whole thing is that we would not sin. He says, but if anyone sins, or do we have an advocate? We have one who speaks on our behalf. And he says, he is Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the perpetuation, satisfaction for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, no, we, we, we talked about earlier that John writes in comparisons, and he always just gives two. He never gives a third one. Some commentators, when they get to this verse, they want to throw a third group in. So, well, maybe he's including just the believing Jews. Why would he do that? His comparison is between the world and us. He says he's the satisfaction for our sins. But he says it goes further than that. He's not just the satisfaction for our sins, but he's the satisfaction for the sins of the world. Jesus Christ came and died for the sins of the whole world. Then why isn't everybody going to heaven? Because of sin. And John tells us that 
light came into the world, but because men loved their darkness, they loved their sin, they stayed in the dark. And that's why people today are still in darkness. The Jehovah's Witnesses that came by my house, they think they're carrying a light. They are in darkness. They are out there trying to bring comfort to a sinner. Sinner has no comfort. He needs to get into a discomfort situation to where he knows he is on his way to hell for eternity, but God has provided an, an alternative. That's the message that we carry. Matter of fact, she told me, she says, you try to scare people. No, I don't. I try to share with people the truth. And so these are the things that we, John says that he's the perpetuation for the sins of the whole world. Now, guess who I'm going to believe? The scripture or a commentator? I'm going to believe the scripture. If when he says it's the whole world, it's the whole world. And then chapter 2, verse 3, he says, By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Everybody want to talk about, I, I know God, I love God. But when you start talking about people keeping God's commandment, they want no part of that. He says, and this we know, that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has been perfected. John says, you can say all you want to. I'm a Christian. But if you do not, Keep God's commandments. You are a liar, and the truth is not in you. Now, read it for, read it for yourself. I, I'm, that's not my word. Those are John's words, inspired by the Holy, the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he doesn't want us going the wrong direction, thinking we are on our way to heaven. He goes on to say in verse 6, the one who says, I abide in him, ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. When you see that word walk, it's talking about conduct yourself. We ought to conduct ourselves in the same manner that Christ conducted himself. That's how you tell whether you are walking in the light or not. Then chapter 2, verse 15, he says, Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from God, but from the world. The world is passing away, and also it's lust. But the one... Who does the will of God will live forever. The one who does what God says, that person will live forever. That's the message that John is bringing. He wants us to understand that there's a way to live and there's a way not to live. He goes through and he describes this to us. Look at verse 18, the same chapter. Children, it is the last hour, and just as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. If they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they are all not of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. He says they went out from us, but they never was up. Now, this isn't talking about people who leave Christ Community Church and go to another church. It's not talking about that at all. But if you left Christ Community Church and you went and joined the Jehovah Witnesses, then yes, he would, that, that's when he would be talking about these people was in the church. They sung out of the same hymn books that all of them sung. They heard the same message, but they got to this point and said, guys, we have risen above you, and we have some knowledge that you don't have, so we're going to leave. John said, don't worry about them. They went out because they never was a part of us. 
if they had been of us, they would have stayed with us. Every Christian that has ever come to Christ stays with Christ. Those who come in and leave, they left because they never were Christians in the first place. By the way, the guy who started Jehovah's Witnesses came out of the evangelical church. Why? He was not of us in the first place. The guy who started the Mormons came out of the local evangelical church of his day. Why? Because he never was a Christian in the first place. That's what John is pointing out to us. And that's what he wants us to understand. Verse 28, he says, Little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink back from him in the same way at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. He said, you know God is righteous. So everyone who practices righteousness is born of God. That's how you tell who the Christians are and who are not. By the way, John in his letter doesn't tell you how to get saved. But he tells you who the saved people are. And the first person that we have to look at is ourselves. Do I measure up? to what John has laid out here for us. And I love that word, practice. He said, the one who practices righteousness is born of God. See, the difference between practice and perfection is what we call humanity. You and I practice righteousness. We are not perfected in it yet. We're still learning how to do because there are times that sin will come up. But what does, how does practice show itself? I am doing more that is righteous than I'm doing more that is sinful. So that's what he's talking about. He wants us to understand that. That the person who practices righteousness is born of him. Then we get to chapter 3 and he says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we would be called the children of God. Think of that. God, the creator of the universe, the creator of everything there is, the giver of every good and perfect gift, allows you and me to be called his child. He says, look how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us, that he that we would be called the children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet appeared to what we should be, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed himself, excuse me, have this hope fixed on him, purifies himself just as he is pure. That's how you know he's talking to Christians. You'd never tell a sinner to purify himself. But how do you and I purify ourselves? Let's go back to that thing about practicing righteousness. I should be practicing more righteousness in a day today than I was last year this time. If I am not, there's a problem in my life. So that's what he's talking about. He says anyone who has this hope fixed upon him. What is a hope? An assured expectation. Something God has promised to us, but we have not received it yet. I have the assured expectation that I will spend eternity in heaven with him. I haven't received that yet. But as I live here on this earth, I want to line myself up more with that heavenly walk than with an earthly walk. And that's what he is he's, uh, bringing us to understand. In verse 4, he says, everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. Notice. The word practice again. If you see in your life or in my life more sin than righteousness, there's a problem. 
He says, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him, there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. Now, sin has an S on it, sins. You could take that word practice again. It's not talking about perfection. But no one who abides in him will practice sin. And in him, there is no sin. No one who sin has seen him or know him. No one who practiced sin has seen God or knows God. Again, I told you, John doesn't tell you how to get saved here. He doesn't tell you who the saved folks are. He gives you an area where we can line ourselves up to look at the word of God and ask, this, and ask ourselves the question, how am I doing? Let the children make sure that no one deceives you. Now, why would he put that in right here? Because, see, there was those out there that were saying, well, you know, it really doesn't matter how you live down here. Because, see, the flesh is one thing, but the spirit is another. It really doesn't matter. John says it does matter. If you practice sin, you do not know him and you have not seen him. Let no one fool you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil and the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. The one who is born of God excuse me the one who is born of God will, I'm sorry, no one who is born of God practice sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. The one who has been born of God will not practice sin because the seed of God is in us. God gives us his Holy Spirit to live within us. And the Holy Spirit is there to guide us through this life and to tell us there's a temptation coming your way. Look away or step away. You don't have to follow that temptation. That's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. So he wants us to understand that. Verse 10 is my favorite verse in 1 John. He says, by this the children of God and the children of the devil Obvious. Obvious. Okay. What, 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 what does that mean? If I told you that Tim was sitting down over here, you guys would say, hey, that's obvious. We all see that. That's what it's talking about. You don't have to wonder if a person is a child of God or not. He said the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Let me give you another clue. There's only two fathers when it comes to the human race. Either God is your father or the devil is your father. There's not a third alternative. Talking to a guy on the bus one day, brought this idea up of there's only two. He says, I have a third one. You have a third one? He said, yeah. I said, well, what does that third one consist of? He says, I'm still searching to see who I would be. I said, that means you're under the child of the devil. Yeah, there's not a third one. And don't let anybody fool you that there is. The children of God and the children of the devil, and they are obvious. Remember the conversation Jesus had with the Pharisees in John chapter 8? Three times in, in, in that chapter, he says, you are of your father. Only the third time did he identify who the father was. He says, you are of your father, the devil. What did he base that on? He said to them, you claim to be Abraham's children? He said, Abraham would have never tried to kill me, but you tried to kill me. So he could look at their lives, what they were doing, 
and say to them, you are of your father the devil because you are doing what the devil tried to do from the first day Jesus showed up on there. That was to destroy him. Jesus could share this with them that they might understand who he is. Then we get to 1 John 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you will know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Now let's talk about that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. What does that mean? That means that they believe that Jesus Christ came in the exact form as the Bible says that he is. Jehovah Witnesses says that Jesus is a God, but he is not the God. He's not the Son of God. He is a God, and therefore God created him first and then let him create everything else. But the Bible says about Jesus Christ, everything was created by him. Now, if he was created, then that would take away everything. He could not have been created first and then create everything because you would have him over here being created, and he didn't do that. He was God in the flesh from the very beginning, and he created everything. The scripture is clear on that. But see, they come along and they want to tell you, no, that's not him. So we believe in Jesus Christ. Do they believe in him as the scripture has described him? No, they do not. And by the way, there's not another religion out there that does. Not another one that would believe the way that the Bible would describe him. So he wants us to know this. That we are to test the spirits. So what does that mean? That means when you hear a message, whether it's from here or anywhere else, test that message by the scripture to see if it is the truth of the scripture. If it is, then that person is following Christ. If it is not, then they are not following Christ. He goes on to say in verse 3, And every spirit that does not confess that, Je- that Jesus is from God, this is the spirit of Antichrist. Then he goes on to say, You've heard that Antichrist is coming, but I want to tell you there are many Antichrists already in the world. Anti just simply means against. There are many people out there cloaking themselves in a religious garb but are pointing to another Christ instead of the Christ of the Scriptures. And he wants us to understand this. By the way, sometime in your spare time, read 1 John chapter 4 and you're going to pick up on some things. The word you, us, we, shows up over and over again and then the word they and them. Again, he's making a comparison. We would be the believers. They and them would be the outsiders. He never throws a third person in here. He wants you to see clearly there's a comparison of two. We do this. The world doesn't listen to us. Why? Because they are of the world. But the believer will listen to us. Why? Because we are in this together. And that's what he is pointing out to us. That we can know this because as he brings this to us, he wants us to understand. To know the difference between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. We must do that. We must be sharp enough to do that. And by the way, when the Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons come by your house, stop pretending you're not home. Get your Bible. Meet them at the door. 
By the way, the other day I told you that when she stopped by my house, I didn't know she was coming. So I'm at the door without my weapon. As soon as my wife heard Jehovah's Witnesses, she'd go get some of my Bible and stick it right here in my back. <laughs> Whatever that was. <laughs> Am I still? Yes, I'm still on. So she wanted me to be equipped. So she comes up, she brings the Bible, she just laid my back, I just reach back and get it, and now I can preach it in front of the scripture. Do not pretend you're, you're, you're not home. Don't do that. That's a mission field that God is bringing to your door. Answer that door and speak to them and share with them. Chapter 4, verse 19. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hate his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God must also love his brother. And by the way, that's not talking about my identical twin brother. Okay, that's talking about all of you as my brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, fortunately for me, my identical twin brother is a Christian, is a pastor. Okay, so, but that's what he's talking about. He's not talking about family here. He's talking about the family of God. And notice what he says about us. He says we must love each other. That's, that's not an option. He wants to bring that to us that we can understand that. First John chapter five. We're just about to get to where we wanted to be for the night. <laughs> everyone who believes in Jesus, excuse me, everyone that believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. In that phrase, I want you to notice two verbs. Everyone who believes. That's a verse. And that verse is continuing. It's not a one-time shot. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Now, that's another verb, born. That verse is in the perfect tense, meaning it happened at a time back yonder, and it is still true today. It's not continually happened. The first one is continually happened. What does that mean? That means that I continue to believe in Jesus every day. Okay? But where did salvation happen? Salvation happened when I was born of God. A one-time act. In my life and your life, whenever that was. But because that one-time act has happened in our lives, then every day we continually to believe. It doesn't matter whether somebody brings something new on the scene or not. That doesn't change the fact that what we believe. When I was working at Edison, somebody brought in, said, Tom, I want you to take a look at this new religion that has come up. He said, have you ever heard of it? It was called Chrysadelphians. I had never heard of it before. But the last time I was at the L.A. County Fair, they had a booth out there. So he said, what do you know about it? I said, nothing. He said, well, let me bring you something tomorrow. And then you read it, and tomorrow is our Bible study, and you can tell me what you think of it in Bible study. So he did. The way you become a Christian in that group is over an accumulation of time, and knowledge, you keep learning, and then you will reach a point to where God will say, okay, you can, you're now a believer. So we get the Bible study. He said, Tom, do you have a chance to read that? Yep. He said, what do you think about it? I said, it's a cult. He said, yesterday you didn't know anything about it, but today you're calling them a cult. Why is that? Because you brought me what they believed. And when I read what they believe is contrary to Scripture, I don't need to know anything else about them. Amen. They are a cult, and therefore they are not to be followed. 
He said, but they give good Bible studies. I said, no, they may give good talks, but they don't give a good Bible study. It would be impossible for a cult to do that. And everyone who loves the father loves the child that is born of him. Verse 2, chapter 5. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and follow his commandments. There's that word again. You're not just to love God. You're to love him and follow his commandments. If you have a problem following his commandments, then there's a problem with loving God. He brings this to us that we might understand that. And then he says, by this, we know that we love the children of God. So that's why we love each other. By the way, our team that's down in Argentina, I can tell you already that they have met some believers down there. And upon meeting the believers, it's almost as if they've known them already. Why? Because we share in common this thing called fellowship. This relationship that we have in God and wherever you are around the world, you may not even be able to speak their language. But you know that you're believers and you have that fellowship together. He says, for this is love of God. That we keep his commandments. He keeps bringing us back to that point. This is the love of God that we keep his commandments. By the way, there's nothing emotional about that. You just have to do what the scripture tells us to do. And he brings it out and he lays it out for us. Then he says, and his commandments are not burdensome. What would be a burden if you gave me 200 pounds on my back and told me I had to walk with it, that would be a burden. He's saying that his commandments are not burdensome. For whoever has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. One of John's favorite words, this victory thing. I think it's used 23 times in the New Testament. John uses it 18 of those 23. He just comes back to the fact that you and I, we are victors and we have overcome the world. Then he says something that's interesting. He says we have overcome the world by our faith. We have overcome the world by our faith. Now, there's two types of faith. Okay, It could be my faith in Christ, and I'm overcoming the world by that. But I don't think that's what he's talking about. Look at Jude 3. He said, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you would contend earnestly for the faith that was once and for all handed down to the saints. He's talking about the faith that Christ produced in us. That's what he's saying. We have overcome the world by the faith that Christ has implanted in us. And when we see that, we understand that. Acts chapter 6, verse 7 says, The word of God kept spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. And many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. That's what he's talking about. Many of the priests. Now, what does that mean? I mean, that's a little phrase that's just thrown in here. Think about the priest. How did the priest make his living? From the temple and from the sacrifice that everybody brought in. He says, now many of the priests believe. What does that mean? No more food from the temple. They now had to get a job and start to work and do those things. But he says, many of the priests believed in the faith. And I, know, I love how they 
how he, ex uh, he explains it here. Becoming obedient to the faith. See, there's one thing to say, I have faith. There's another thing to be obedient to the faith. And that's what he is bringing to us here that he wants us to understand. Verse 5, chapter 5. The one who says, I've overcome the world. <clears throat> who is the one who overcomes the world? But the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Again, when you hear that phrase, the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God is talking about believing in Jesus Christ as the Bible has described him. He wants us to understand that that's how it is that we come to know him. Verse 6. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but with the water and with the blood. It is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is true. What is John telling us here? He says Jesus Christ has been identified by the Father in three ways. By the water, by the blood, and by the Spirit. And when we see this, then we get to understand what it is that he's talking about. So look at Mark's Gospel, chapter 1. He says, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judah was coming out to him and all the people of Jerusalem. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John was clothed in camel hair and wore a leather belt around his waist. And his diet was locusts and wild honey. And he was preaching, saying, after me comes one who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to bend down and tie his latches of his sandals. I baptize you with water. But there's one who's coming who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Matthew chapter 3, starting at verse 13. Then Jesus arrived in Galilee at the Jordan. Coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him saying, I have the need to be baptized by you. And yet you are coming to me. But Jesus answered and said unto him, allow it at this time. For in this way, it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him, and after he was baptized, Jesus came up immediately out of the water, and behold, the heavens opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending upon him like a dove, sitting upon him. And behold, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am pleased. This is the baptism. He has now been baptized and had been presented to the world, not for his sins, but for those that would be put on him by us. And he is baptized and he is now announced to those around. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This was the spirit of God, the voice of God announcing Jesus Christ is God and God is well pleased in him. Then when we move to the blood, Matthew chapter 27, starting at verse 45. He said, now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, Lame Sabbathani. 
This is my God. Why have you forsaken me? And some of those who were standing there, when they heard it, they said, this man is calling out for Elijah. And immediately one ran and was taking a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. But the rest of them said, let's see if Elijah will come and save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and he gave up the spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Why is top to bottom significant here? Shows that man didn't do it. There's no need to keep the holy of holies hidden from mankind because Christ has now paid the full penalty for our sins. No more need for, for the holy of holies. So the rip from top to bottom says the rock split. All of this is an action taken by God to announce to those present, this is my beloved son and I am pleased in him. And when John sees this, he is letting us know that this is the way that God has testified of his son while he was here on earth. For there are three, 1 John 5, 7. For there are three that testifies, the spirit and the water and the blood. And the three are in agreement. There was nothing at the baptism that contradicted anything at the crucifixion, and the Spirit making the announcement did not change any of that. He said they are in agreement. That's why we see the Scripture written over these 1,500 years, still all pointing in the same direction. And when we see that, we give glory to God because this is what God has brought to us that we might clearly understand the things that he has shared with us. And when we take the scriptures and we read it, we find out it's not enough just to read it. We must live it. And that's what we have been called to do. Every day that God gives us on the face of this earth is a day that we can get the word out about the Christ. Let's be faithful in doing that. That we would fulfill the things that God has left us here to do. You know there are many commands in the Bible. Be fruitful and fill the earth is one of those. Okay. Love thy neighbor as thyself. You can go down the list. Just keep going on the things that the Bible tells us to do. We only do those things because he has left us here for one purpose. And that's to get the word out about him. Because, see, if I'm not loving you, then how the world going to believe that there is love in the church or love from God? That's why he tells us to love with one another. I love the verse that says, bear with one another. <laughs> see, that's, a, that's an acknowledgement that we're not all there yet. But he says, bear with one another. I tease Charlie all the time. Charlie, you're going to have to bear with me. Yeah. Where does that come up most of the time? In our families? Where they're believers? Okay? Believe it or not, as, as dressed up as I look on Sunday morning, Donna has to bear with me sometimes. That's what we're called to do with each other. Why? So when people see us together and we stop to share the gospel with them, they're not asking questions. Well, why are you acting different now than you were acting later on? Okay? That's what this thing is, and that's what we're called to do. And we need to keep in mind that we have one purpose on this earth. Now, there are many other things that we may do while we're here, but one purpose that we may get the word out about the Christ. When we do that, then we have fulfilled what God 
has called us to do and left us here for. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great grace toward us. We thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord. We thank you for your word and how plain you have made it. Father, help us to be obedient to your word that others might see an acts of the hope that is within us. We thank you for our time together tonight. We pray for our Argentina team as they have one more day on the field and then a journey back home. We commit them to you in the word of your grace. We thank you for our time. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed. You are... Tell 8.15 to pick up your kids.